From WUFTFM, this is Animal Airwaves Live, our weekly hour-long show devoted to the discussion of the health and welfare of animals. I'm Dana Hill, and I'm really happy to welcome back to the program today from the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine, Dr. Heather Walden. We're going to be talking today ooh, about something that's going to sound kind of scary, but we're going to break it down, and it'll make a lot more sense as the hour goes on. The rat lungworm parasite, a threat to people, animals, and the environment. So... Welcome back to the program, Dr. Walden. Glad that you could be here with me today to talk about something that uh, is probably going to scare a lot of people. I know that when I read the synopsis of the program today, I was alarmed. Uh, But we want to maybe dispel some myths today, but also be realistic with people. So uh, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me back. Okay. uh, Yeah. Yeah, it can be a little scary, but um, it's... Hopefully, like you said, we'll we'll break it down and, and it won't be so bad. Okay, so let's just start off with the name to begin with. Why is it called the rat lungworm parasite? So uh, it's called the rat lungworm parasite. That's its its common name. So the scientific name is Angiostrongylus cantonensis. And the, uh, the rat lungworm, um, it, it gets that name because it, it uses rats as its natural definitive host. And it actually will inhabit the pulmonary artery of rats once it reaches adulthood. Okay, but it is a, a parasite, and how 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 might how would you describe its appearance? So th- this particular parasite, um, it's it's kind of a, a medium-bodied parasite, uh, maybe half the size of your your pointer finger, and uh, fairly thin, um, long. And the, uh, the, the worms themselves are kind of a whitish, creamy whitish color. And the females are really interesting. Um, when you get a, a fresh worm, because they are blood feeders, they, they have a, a blood-filled intestine, and then they have a uterus that's filled with those developing um, young parasites, and it'll intertwine itself and give it kind of a, a striped appearance, which is, which is pretty neat. Okay, so these do kind of look like little worms, uh-huh. and they are, they're, so you say their natural host is a rat, right? A, yeah. a, a particular rat? Um, a few different species of rats. Typically here in Florida, they're going to be the, the black rat or the nori rat. Are those common in Florida? They are. They're Ooh. pretty common. Okay, but where did this parasite originate? I imagine that like anything, it has probably been around for millions of years uh, before <laughs> before it became a problem for us. Where was it originally identified? So um, it, it has been around for quite a while. The, the first human report, um, and that's kind of where, you know, we start kind of our, our records, um, was in uh, Taiwan, 1945. And it's Typically, uh, you know, we found a, a lot of these parasites, human infections, and, and finding it in rats, and then the other intermediate hosts that it uses um, in various parts of Asia, the Pacific Islands. Um, you can also find it in the uh, um, Caribbean. Um, there's probably, you know, human cases documented in over 30 countries, um, but it's, it's pretty well made its way around the world um, by this point. Um, thanks to, to travel and, um, you know, a great uh, climate that's able to 
sustain the, the parasite and its host. Um, but uh, most of the reports, um, at least the early years, have, have come out of um, um, Asia. Now, we've got a lot to discuss in this program, uh, especially as it relates to the way that this parasite can potentially uh, cross over uh, into our environment. But I wonder if we can maybe at the outset of the program discuss a little bit about symbiotic relationships and what is the nature of a parasite. So, you know, a, a parasite itself, sometimes they often get a bad rap. You know, not all parasites are bad. Um, however, you know, there are some that do definitely cause disease and, and um, are, are not worth, uh, you know, keeping around, especially when we're talking about the health and well-being of either humans or, or animals um, that we care for. Um, but, you know, a, a parasite itself is going to be uh, living in or on another uh, living animal um, and pulling the, the nutrients from that particular animal. And, you know, we have parasites that live on the inside of a particular host, and those are endoparasites or internal parasites. And then you have another type of parasite lives outside the host, and so your external or ectoparasites. And so, you know, you, you've all kind of thought about the, the worms that are, maybe our dogs and cats get or horses or goats, sheep or whatnot, or even our exotic pets like our snakes and our frogs and our fish. And then um, on the ectoparasite side, thinking of like fleas and ticks and mosquitoes, different types of biting flies and, and things like that. Okay, and so when we talk about parasites, we also talk about things like hosts. Can you define what a host is? Sure. So a host is going to be the the animal um, on which or in which the, the parasite is going to be living or, or getting its nutrients from. And so we have different types of hosts. So a definitive host is typically your, your final host, and so that's where we're getting our sexual reproduction and our parasites. And then we have um, other intermediate hosts and um, parasites can cycle through those as well and do development um, in those particular hosts to make their way to our definitive hosts. And um, we have other like transport hosts or peritonic hosts where they may not develop, but they basically can um, insist and, and remain in that host until generally they're ingested or, or something like that um, to get to a definitive host. Um, and, and stuff like that. Oh, okay, you, you've now uh, <laughs> even raised another question, which is uh, I'm going to ask you to kind of sort of help me understand uh, and help the audience understand why it is that there would be differences between the kinds of hosts, because I think that a lot of us, when we think about, say, mammals, mm -hmm. well, mammals largely live their existence in one kind of environment, right? And so where we are born and where we later on will reproduce kind of all happen in the same place generally, uh, in the same environment. Uh, how is it different then for some of these parasites? Um, so, you know, they need different types of hosts in order to develop at different stages. And so you know, if we're concentrating on the rat lungworm, so worms are, they're actually, they're nematodes is what we call this particular group of parasites. And so, you know, nematodes um, that have intermediate hosts, they 
they do so um, for for some uh, biological reason. You know, whether we know what that is or not, most of the time we don't know exactly why they need particular hosts. You know, sometimes we 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 have all that information, but often we don't. Um, you know, the rat lungworm, in this particular sense, you know, it has to have that rat as that final host, and that's where it's going to develop in the pulmonary artery. But in order to to get to that point, it has to, um, as that kind of initial young or, you know, quote-unquote baby stage, if you will, as a larva, it has to leave the rat and go into uh, a gastropod. So your snails or slugs and develop in that gastropod to a certain point, and then it, it, it can't develop any further until it gets back into a rat. Um, you know, why it needs those, those particular snails and slugs and why it needs that rat, I'm you know, not really sure. There's got to be some kind of um, biochemical process happening um, for the, the, the development of that worm and why it's so necessary. Um, but the the exact um, reasons uh, we just don't know. Yeah. Okay. So these, you know, I mean, a, a lot of critters besides mammals have different life stages uh, mm-hmm. that are markedly different from other life stages. And anybody who you know listened to this episode, uh, an episode that we had before about frogs, will know that you know animals kind of uh, go through different stages. Well. It sounds to me like, for whatever reason, in the case of this particular parasite, it is needing to ha- have part of its life in different critters. Uh, is it Does it work out really well for this parasite that in its environment where it can find the right rats, it also can find the right gastropods? Yes, it does work out really well. And but the the one thing that um, inhibits this parasite is just the the availability of that intermediate host. So it can't infect any snail out there. Um, you know, we haven't found it in every single snail species, um, and it, so it it is has, has some level of. Um, of, of consistency there where it has to have certain species of snails. But as it comes into new geographic areas, so, you know, as it was introduced to um, the United States and to the state of Florida itself, you know, we have um, different snail species in what we might find in Southeast Asia. Um, however, there are some invasive snails that have made its way here. And so we do readily find them in those, but it, it can get into others. And so, um, you know, it, it can uh, be be uh, be picky about where it is going, but it does need to have that that intermediate host, that snail or or, um, or slug in order to to continue its development. And it's 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 quite impressive the way that, that parasites um are able to uh, to develop and and um, and use new new hosts and, and new ways to do that. So, does the snail that or other um, kind of gastropod that these uh, rats need these are very specific kind of snails? Um, so, some of them, yes. So we know there's a handful of snails that 
our known intermediate hosts, so like the giant African snail um, that we have seen in uh, the southernmost parts of Florida. Um, it's been eradicated, uh, I know, at least once, maybe twice, but it's coming back. Um, there are some other uh, snails that have made their way up through kind of uh, central Florida. Um, and then there's some other snail species that are more prevalent throughout most of Florida. And these are these particular species that I'm talking about are, are invasive species. And then we've also found this parasite in some native uh, snail species here in Florida as well. Um, so it is leaving some of these invasive um, snail species that they're, I guess you could say they're more used to or they've adapted to, and then um, they are making their way into some of these uh, newer hosts just because they're they're having more interaction with our, our native snails. Okay, well, here's where I'll say that I think of rats, mammals, as being quite distinctive from snails, right? Mm-hmm. How is it that a critter or a, um, a parasite like this rat lungworm can find a suitable environment in these two very different creatures? What, what about it can thrive in both? That's a great question. Um, and that's one that we, you know, we, we don't have all the answers to that. So we don't know exactly why it, you know, why it needs the rat, why it needs the snail, um, just that it, just that it does. Okay. So when we think about the kind of critters here that we're discussing, the rat and the snail, we're not talking about animals that, by and large, human beings find especially cuddly or appealing. Um, you know, so some people might go, okay, so a rat has a parasite, boo-hoo. Um, mm-hmm. but, but that's probably short-sighted. Right. So the, the problem comes in is when humans may accidentally or purposefully ingest infected snails. Um, whether they are in, ingesting these snails on um, produce that hasn't been washed readily, maybe produce that's been washed in water and you didn't know it, but a snail fell in your bucket of water that you're washing it with, depending on where you're washing it, um, might have gotten chopped up somehow. Um, or when, you know, our, our pets, particularly our dogs, maybe come in contact with these snails. Um, you know, there haven't been any reported instances of rat lungworm infecting dogs in Florida as of, uh, as of recently or as of, as of now, actually. But there are several reports in Hawaii where this parasite uh, is considered endemic. It's been there for, you know, over 50 years. Um, also, several human cases, or, or sorry, dog cases in um, Australia, where it's been for quite a while as well. Um, and so that's where we tend to be concerned about this particular parasite, is when humans come in contact with the intermediate hosts, so the, the gastropods, um, where our pets might come in contact with these particular gastropods. There have been reports of, of birds. Um, succumbing to these infections, non-human primates, um, uh, what else? armadillos, miniature horses. So there's 
a variety of different types of animals that can come in contact with the, the gastropods or or with um, the peritonic host. And so I mentioned the peritonic host would kind of harbor this parasite until it's ingested by um, another host. And so peritonic hosts can include crustaceans and frogs and, and things like that. And so when humans or other animals that are not rats ingest the parasite in these particular stages, that's where we um, have the concern. Okay, and that's a very worthwhile concern, and we are going to take a break in just a minute. Before we do, and when we'll talk about the risks to other species, I wonder if you can explain, if it's known, how it is that the rats, the kind of ultimate host for this parasite, how they get it from snails or other gastropods. So they are actually going to be ingesting the gastropod. I got it. So the rats eat the snails, and then it... The parasite comes out in the feces of the rat, and the snail picks up the parasite from the rat feces. Oh, wow. So that how that's how it continues. That's how it continues. Okay, so there there's a relationship here yes. in two ways between <laughs> the snails and the rats that's kind of gross in both ways. <laughs> um, but there you have it. All right, so... Uh, that gives us something to think about as we go into our first break here on Animal Airwaves Live on WUFTFM. I'm Dana Hill. My guest today from the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine is Dr. Heather Walden, and we are talking about the rat lungworm parasite. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome back to Animal Airwaves Live here on WUFTFM. I'm Dana Hill. My guest today from the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine is Dr. Heather Walden. We're talking about the rat lungworm parasite. And when we left off, Dr. Walden, we had been discussing kind of the way that this parasite can can pass from one of the species that it needs or kinds of species it needs, which are, you know, say snails or gastropods to rats where it kind of can find uh, a great place to live out whatever part of its life cycle, uh, I guess it needs to. Does it reproduce in the rat? Is that where it's doing that? It does. It reproduces in the rat. So once it once the uh, infective larvae from the, the snails or the slugs enter the rat, um, you know, they're still kind of a, a juvenile stage at that point. So they enter the circulation, they go to the brain of the rat, they develop a little bit more, they uh, re-enter circulation, makes their way to the heart and the pulmonary arteries where they mature to an adult. And then the, adult, the adults there will uh, reproduce, and then you get these kind of uh, egg nests in the lungs um, that hatch. And the uh, uh, first stage larva, um, the first stage larvae at that point uh, get kind of, I guess, coughed up and swallowed back into the intestine and passed out in the fecal material of the rat. You are describing a horror movie. Uh, Okay, so uh, I'm sorry to all the listeners who are finding this very off-putting. It is is that, but 
let's let's just just discuss for a minute. Okay, like I can understand how how this parasite finds its way initially into a rat. Okay, but how does it make its way, as you say, to the brain? And and how does it even? Why does it even have different places where it needs to be during inside the, the body of an individual during certain times of its development? And that's another great question. I think my students ask me that question um, about other parasites all the time, and I always tell them that you know they can uh, they can hang out and, and, and get a PhD and, and try to figure it out with all of us if uh, if they'd like to keep going to school. But um, it's it's one of those million dollar questions. Uh, why the parasites have to go to a particular place to do, you know, a, a particular type of development. And, you know, there, there's got to be some kind of biochemical, biological reason that these parasites are doing this. Um, but exactly what that is, we're just not sure. But do you know uh, how it, it sort of makes its way through these different systems? Because to me, it seems like uh, the brain and the lungs are are not necessarily closely connected. No, they're not. So well, you know, once the the parasite's ingested by the rat, you know, it's in the uh, in the intestine. Those larvae will penetrate the intestinal wall. They'll enter the circulation, and they get carried up to the brain. And then once they're there, um, they will develop, um, get a little bit larger. Then they re-enter the circulation, and they're carried back down to the heart and the pulmonary artery where they stay. So there's something something that tells them that this is where they need to stay, um, and so that's where they're going to stay. Yeah, okay. Well, I can't imagine anything can get too big in the brain without it causing trouble. How you much think, trouble yes. do these parasites cause rats? Um, in rats, some of the papers that have come out looking at uh, disease in rats infected with rat lungworm, um, it's been noted that they can harbor up to 100 or so uh, worms and be okay. Um, and so it, it's all about how the immune system is responding to these parasites. You know, they, they have evolved quite nicely with these rats, so they're, they're meant to be in the rat. And typically when you have a parasite that's it's meant to be in another host, especially a, a definitive host, you don't often see disease. Well, you know, that's, that's not always um, the rule. There are definitely exceptions to that rule. Um, but typically, um, you know, the, the parasite itself, if it, if it kills its definitive host, it, it can't reproduce. It can't keep its cycle going. And so that does no good for the parasite. Um, and so, the best case scenario is that they're they're actually in that definitive host and they're able to to mature and to reproduce. Now, when you get into an intermediate host or you get into a peritonic host, those are the hosts that the parasites kind of at a dead end. They they stop their their development, and in order to complete the development, they have to get into that definitive host, they have to be ingested. And so often when you have a parasite that gets into one of those types of hosts, we see more disease um, associated with that infection because it wants that particular host to succumb to, you know, maybe it's easier, uh, an easier prey item or, 
or something like that. And so um, that's often where we see that. All right. So we don't really need to lose any sleep over the fate of this rat in this story because it can get along reasonably well with this parasite in its body. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and the cycle just continues. The snails, too, they seem to handle it all right? Um, most snails. So, and that's kind of where some of our concern comes from, you know, when definitely when it's going into some of these native snail species. Um, we, we're not really sure the effects of the parasite on the snails. You know, there are definitely some species of snails can harbor thousands of these parasites and some cannot. Um, and, you know, the concern is that, you know, in a lot of these um, uh, native species that have never seen this parasite before are naive to this parasite, you know, their first few introductions aren't going to go well. And so there's concern that it can, can do something to the, these particular snail populations. We just don't know. We don't know enough um, yet. And so that's where a lot of the, the concern and a lot of the, the work is being focused. All right. So this this particular species of rat, it's one species of rat or is it multiple species of rats? It's, it's multiple species, but the most common um, are going to be your black rats and your Norway rats. Okay. And these rats uh, have made their way around the world. I mean, is there is the risk here that the rats and the snails that kind of are part of this dance uh, make their way around? Or is it likely that just one of these uh, kind of hosts makes its way somewhere? And in the case of, say, let's say this rat, where maybe the parasite makes its way across the world where it hadn't lived before, uh, and then it finds a suitable... Um, you know, gastropod there to kind of continue it, or do they both kind of go in conjunction, the gastropod and the rat? I think actually with, with this particular parasite, either scenario um, could play out and is playing out because of the the mixture of invasive and, and native snails that we have here in the state. Yeah. Oh, does Florida have a, 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 a big snail problem, not just from our native snails, which, you know, I have some affection for, <laughs> but but also for uh, invasive ones? Yes, there are quite a few um, invasive snail species here in the state of Florida. Um, what about uh, slugs? Does this uh, affect slugs? There are some slug species that are uh, known intermediate hosts for this particular parasite. Some are peritonic hosts, so they would basically um, just uh, carry the parasite. It wouldn't develop in them. Um, and then, you know, there are some that we just don't know yet. Mm -hmm. Okay, so in places where this has spread from its kind of original area, has it created trouble? It has created trouble, and a lot of it is from these accidental human infections or where the parasite has infected our, our companion animals um, and, and things like that. And so that's where we, we tend to see uh, more of these, these issues with, with these new parasites. But do people really know how many different animal species have been infected by this parasite? Because 
it would probably need to be causing problems of one form or another for it to even be noticed, right? Um, well, not necessarily. And so, you know, for a lot of the mute, it, it's probably definitely uh, um, underreported. Uh, at least in, in humans, the most common clinical sign would be a headache. You know, not not saying that everybody has a headache. Go out and think you have a right lung one. That's not what I wanted to get across at all. But um, you know, you see anything from um, headache to uh, fever. Um, you could have GI symptoms from like vomiting, poor appetite, abdominal pain, and that's just from the larvae penetrating the intestine and, and making their way to the brain. Um, and then once the parasite gets to the brain, that's where you see the, the headache and fever. Um, and, and everything that you, you experience is dependent upon the numbers of larvae uh, that you're infected with or that any given host is infected with. And so just a few larvae, you may not have experienced anything at all. Um, maybe a few more, you may get that headache. And then, you know, as as the numbers of larvae um, that have infected a particular host increase, then you start to see, you know, the, the neurological signs. And that's typically what we see with rat lung worm. When it gets into a host, it's not necessarily supposed to be in. And so um, whether it's, uh, you know, um, muscle weakness or twitching, um, seizures, um, it could be paralysis, in very extreme cases, coma. Um, you know, there have been deaths reported from this parasite, but again, that's very extreme cases of this. And, um, you know, our, our pets, our dogs, and, and some of the other animals reported in the literature experience very similar neurologic issues. But of course, they can't really tell you um, you know, what's going on, and so you um, you kind of have to, to use some other other things. You know, you see if you're doing any type of blood work or anything, you see um, high eosinophil counts um, and things like that. But then, you know, there are other parasites that can cause high eosinophil counts. So it's not, it's not um, conclusive in, in that nature. Okay, so, uh, all right. Sorry. No, no, it, this is, no, this is good. Uh, but I want to ask, I mean, this, does this parasite, this rat lung worm, it does, does it not, can it not achieve its final adult form inside another animal? Like, let's say it got into some other animal besides this rat. Could it not become the kind of adult worm-shaped thing that you would find in the bloodstream? Not that we've seen so far. So, if it were to get into a human or a non-human primate, a dog, a bird, horse, um, I think armadillo has also been in the literature. Um, basically, what happens is it it it's ingested. Typically, that's that's how it's getting into these hosts. And the larvae start off doing exactly what they're supposed to do in the rat. So they will penetrate the intestine. They'll enter the circulation, and then they go to the brain. Um, they they, they get caught up in the immune system, um, and then, you know, they're not in the rat. They're not getting the same cues. And so they basically get hung up in that state, and that's where we see the, the neurologic issues is from the, 
the, the larvae that get hung up in the brain, the immune response from the presence of those larvae. Um, and they're not going to uh, continue and, and, and come back to the, the pulmonary artery and develop. That's, that's not typically what's going to happen. Okay, so uh, here's where we can say good news, everyone. Um, you know, the you will not probably have full-size rat lungworms in your body. The, you know, the bad news is still that the words larvae and brain are still in the same sentence here, potentially when we're talking about people and uh, companion animals. Yes, unfortunately... They are in the same sentence. Oof. Okay. Well, this is it. It is. It's going to be. You know, this is going to scare some people, and I and I and I. I don't want to unduly scare people. No, not at all. Before before we take our next break, I mean, how often is this being found in any species in the United States of America? So right now, the most common occurrences of rat lungworm in any species in the United States is in Hawaii. Um, there have been human reports in Louisiana. Uh, I think there were a couple reports in Texas. Um, I want to say there might have been a report in Tennessee. But the human reports are very few and far between whether humans are getting infected um, and just not being reported or whether, um, you know, they're getting infected and, and it's completely asymptomatic or whether they're not getting infected at all, uh, it's, it's hard to say. Um, but the parasite, we know it's, it's in uh, several states in the southeastern U.S., um, we found it all through the state of Florida, unfortunately. So we know it's here. Um, so it may be a combination of, of you know, it being underreported or um, hopefully the it's leaning towards the just not getting infected. When it is found in species besides this rat where it kind of belongs, so to speak, is it found in those species presumably because somebody, either a person or another animal, ate some sort of gastropod? Nobody's eating the, the rats, presumably. No, it's you, you can't you can't eat the rat and get it. You have to ingest the intermediate host or the peritonic host. So in 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 every instance, most instances I guess also should say, um, the the infection source has been known, um, and it's typically been a gastropod. There have been a few instances where the infection source was unknown, um, but it, it has to come from some type of um, gastropod or whether you're getting that peritonic host or it's some type of infected frog or a crustacean or, or something like that. Well, I... I'm sure glad that I can't get it from eating the rat. Um, no, no. Here's here's where we're going to take our second break. I want to remind listeners that this is Animal Airwaves Live on WUFT-FM. My guest today from the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine is Dr. Heather Walden. We're talking about the rat lungworm parasite, and we'll be back right after this. Stay tuned. 
Hi, welcome back to Animal Airwaves Live. I'm Dana Hill. My guest today from the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine is Dr. Heather Walden. We're talking about the rat lungworm parasite. And, you know, Dr. Walden, if if I chuckle a little bit, it's, it's only because, one, this just sounds so menacing. Um, but but really, it, I mean, this is something that people should be should be concerned about, but as you say, not un, not unduly concerned. And yet, um, we do have, I think, in the environment here in Florida, many invasive species. Right? I mean, there's you you hear about this all the time, especially in places like the Everglades. Um, are there any invasive species that we should be worrying about, um, or, or it, even not? We, as in, like, the people listening to this program, per se, but those who are in positions of responsibility or in with any particular degree of expertise about animals and invasive species in Florida. Absolutely. I mean, there are, are countless invasive species, whether it's parasites or, you know, whether it's, it's others such as reptiles. You know, I can think of the Burmese python in South Florida the Cuban tree frog, greenhouse frogs, you know, and all of these particular animals, um, you know, I, I can I can name parasites that they're 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 transporting um, or potentially bringing into the state or to the country, um, and as they assimilate to the the environment, they're they're releasing their parasites with them, and so. Those parasites are then able to get into some of our native populations. You know, when we think about the Burmese python, you know, it, it carries a, a pentastome with it that we have found in a lot of our native snakes in Florida. Um, we're still trying to figure out the exact, um, I guess, the exact level of disease that it could potentially cause in these native snakes, um, you know, as far as... Um, you know, Cuban tree frogs, we found the rat lungworm in Cuban tree frogs. We found um, larval stages of that same invasive penistone from Burmese pythons in the Cuban tree frog. And so anything that eats that Cuban tree frog can then become potentially infected with either rat lungworm um, or these other parasites. And so, you know, not only... Um, you know, it doesn't necessarily always have to be a, a zoonotic risk, but it can be a risk to um, our our native uh, animals here in Florida, and then also our pets, like you've mentioned. So, so other animals are experiencing severe effects from mm-hmm. this rat lungworm, including yeah. including death. Absolutely. Um, which you know is is concerning, especially when it comes to, you know, not just our pets, but any sort of, um, any sort of animal life, uh, that, that human beings find valuable, right? Whether it's for companionship or for agricultural purposes or, or whatever. Um, I mean, are, are, is this a concern to people who, who deal in agriculture? Um, I think it, it definitely can be, especially when you're thinking about, um, you know, the gastropods. So that, you know, that gastropod, you know, depending on what you're, whatever you're, you're growing. Like say, for instance, if you're, um, you know, whatever produce you may be growing, um, 
you know, human contact with those gastropods or if some maybe get into the, the produce and get shipped to different places or, you know, there's lots of different scenarios for that. And so, you know, just trying to be uh, aware of this and and making sure that, that those are, are limited. You know, and I, a lot, I know a lot of growers already do a lot to minimize um, the presence of gastropods. And so that can go a long way into, um, you know, not only minimizing um, transmission here in Florida, but maybe possibly to other places. Now, snails are food, right, mm-hmm. to many people. Uh, are there risks to them? Absolutely. Um, so especially, you know, depending on the, the snails that you ingest, um, uh, as a parasitologist, my, uh, my recommendation is to make sure everything is cooked before you eat it. Um, you know, and, and definitely with snails, a lot of different parasites use snails. It's not just rat lungworms. Um, snails are, you know, if you were to open them up and actually look and see what's inside of them, they're, they're quite dirty. Um, they have a lot of different uh, um, things that use them as intermediate, intermediate hosts. And uh, so it, it's, it's, it's very important to make sure that if they are going to be ingested, that they're fully cooked. Uh, I don't want to put you on the spot and ask you if you eat snails, but I'm going to just guess. I'm going to guess uh, the answer. Now, uh, I mean, if we can just have a little diversion for a second. Now, snails live in the dirt, right? I mean, they live in the dirt and they live on plants. It uh-huh. seems it seems uh, uh, unfair of for any of us to kind of malign them. It's sort of their circumstance, right? Is that Are they uniquely susceptible to these sorts of things just because of their environment? Oh, absolutely. You know, and 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 they, it, it it's just what what they feed upon and and where they are and and um, you know they they have a purpose and um and and that is their purpose. You know, I I worked with a, a malacologist here at the University of Florida, um, and I, I I didn't really know a lot about. Uh, snail biology and, and everything that went into them and, until I started working on rat lungworm with him and um, look at snails a whole new way now. So. Yeah. Um, now, in the time that we have left, where do you see this going down the road? Um, well, at least for for our purposes um, in our lab, you know, a lot of it is just um, increasing awareness of the presence of this parasite. What I don't want to happen here in Florida um, is a lot of what they're seeing in, in, in Hawaii. You know, I, I, I don't want that scenario playing out here. And I don't want in, you know, 10, 20, 30 years uh, to be saying, oh, well, rat lungworm is endemic in Florida and we have, you know, some of the highest uh, human and canine infections in the country. You know, I, I don't want that to, to be... Um, you know, something that occurs. And so just making sure um, that there is increased awareness of the, the parasite, where it is, how it can um, be transmitted, and, and, and things along that nature. And then also looking at, you know, diagnosis, whether it's human or veterinary medicine, and um, just making sure that that's on a, a, a differential list here in the state. And 
then looking further into the um, the parasite itself and how it's affecting our our native animals here in the state, whether it's our native gastropods or native frogs or it's getting into our native snakes or um, even spilling over into fish and, and things like that and, and trying to just minimize or prevent human infections. If it does become kind of endemic, as you say it maybe has in Hawaii or Australia, what options are there to protect people and other animals? I think a lot of the options are, are just trying to be careful about uh, food that's ingested, um, how food is washed and prepared, um, keeping an eye on, on pets um, to make sure they're not playing with gastropods or ingesting um, frogs or, or gastropods and things like that. And, um, and, and, and that's really all you can do is is kind of being hypervigilant about um, the food intake and, and preparation. Well, Dr. Heather Walden from the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine, thank you so much for uh, joining me today and, and talking about this topic. I will say that uh, in all the years of doing this program, I don't remember a time that we discussed the rat lungworm parasite. So um, I, I... I look forward to, in uh, 10 years' time, talking with you again and finding out kind of where we are. And one hopes that at that point um, these parasites will will not be our overlords. Um, so thank you very much. Well, thank you again. And, yes, hopefully um, in 10 years' time we uh, maybe we'll have minimal to talk about. When we, uh, when we discuss this parasite. Wonderful, wonderful. I uh, want to also thank Sarah Carey at the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine. And of course, all of you for listening today. I'm Dana Hill. Hope you'll join me again next time for another episode of Animal Airwaves Live. Mm-hmm.